Atonement. Atonement is defined by the dictionary as 1. Satisfaction, reparation, or expiation, made for wrong or injury, something suffered, done, or given by way of satisfaction. 2. Theological, the sacrificial work of Christ. 3. Reconciliation, agreement. Atonement is very clearly a human need. Man, being a sinner, has many wrongs which must be atoned for. Can it be said, however, that atonement, clearly a human need, is also a human problem? Is man the problem solver with respect to atonement? Jesus Christ, according to St. Paul, is the one by whom we have now received the atonement, Romans 5.11. Reconciliation to God is very clearly declared to be the work of Jesus Christ, not man. Humanism, however, sees atonement as man's problem. Man somehow will make reparation for his wrongs and reconcile man to man. Reconciliation to God, of course, is not considered biological humanism. In any case, the need to make atonement is basic to man everywhere. Because man is a sinner and because the burden of sin and guilt is an impressive one, men everywhere seek to find release from sin and guilt by atoning acts and rituals. Their goal is justification to be guiltless and free from the burden of sin and guilt. To be justified is to be publicly exonerated, free, and innocent. It means vindication and freedom. Justification by means of atonement is the goal of all men. The two root forms of humanistic atonement are sadism and masochism. In sadism, an attempt is made to atone for sin and guilt by laying the burden on someone else. Justification is sought, as with Adam and Eve, by saying that someone else made them do what they did. The other party is guilty. To this is added a savage punishment of this supposedly guilty other person. To cite an example, a workman of superior background and very inferior station proved to be incapable of admitting that he did anything wrong. If it were demonstrated to him that it was indeed his doing, somehow his wife was to blame, and he would, on his return home, beat her savagely. He would even boast of having beaten her in order to establish his righteous intolerance of mistakes. This man's atonement for his wrongs was to lay the guilt on his wife. His justification was that she, somehow, had so distressed him that his actions were her fault. Now see what you made me do. This was his refrain. Sadism is a form of do-it-yourself atonement. The sadist has to blame and punish another person or persons for his own wrongs. In some cases, an entire nation or race is singled out as the target for sadistic actions. All blacks or all whites, all Jews, Germans, Englishmen, or Japanese. Mental health usually improves during war years, if the war is a popular war, and suicides decline, because a sadistic hatred of the enemy gratifies the destructive sense of unatoned sin and guilt in men. The enemy is made the incarnation of evil, and the world's sin and guilt are laid on the enemy. Adolf Hitler, 1889-1945, clearly an ungodly man, served such a purpose, and a realistic appraisal of an essentially modern, relativistic politician has become next to impossible because his role has been that of a scapegoat for modern man. The other form of humanistic atonement is masochism, or self-punishment. Masochism is by no means absent in the sadist. The wife-beating workman was viciously sadistic, but his masochism was also present in his every action. 
often his wife-beating, was deliberately public in order to bring punishment on himself. If it were not possible to make it public, he made sure that the ugliest details became known, so that he would suffer public disapproval. The masochist wants punishment in order that he may, in effect, pay the price of his sin. According to his accounting system, sins have their price. When that price is paid, a man has both freedom to commit the sin and to be absolved of sin and guilt. When a man knows in his heart that he has sinned, he feels guilty and wants rid of that guilt. As a result, he will so act as to invite punishment. Thus, a man who had been committing adultery with his wife's best friend felt doubly guilty for that reason. His conscience troubled him that he had not only committed adultery, but fouled a friendship. As a result, he sought masochistic atonement. He began to do things certain to make his wife angry. He precipitated one stormy scene after another over trifles, and ended each by asking forgiveness for these trifles. He was also provoking her into overreacting, so that he could feel that he had more than paid for past sins and had some credit left for future ones. But self-atonement is an impossibility. Sinful man cannot justify himself before God, nor can he make atonement for sin when his actions, like his heart, mind, and being, are governed by sin. Man's acts of self-atonement and self-justification are themselves sins. There are two aspects to atonement. First, atonement is the reconciliation between persons who are at variance or in enmity one to another. Second, it is that act of sacrifice or expiation of the sin and guilt which makes the reconciliation possible. Expiation is that act which renders satisfaction for an offense and removes thereby the guilt and punishment. Man is not capable of fulfilling either aspect of atonement with respect to God. Because he is a sinner, his every act reflects his nature and only aggravates his offense. When he attempts to make atonement, he is either sadistic or masochistic, and in any case, sinful. According to all of Scripture, efficacious atonement is the sovereign act of God through Jesus Christ. It is not a subjective experience, but an objective fact. Lang's comment on Romans 5.11 stated, The expiation of Christ is the ground and condition of the reconciliation of God and man. Bengal says on Romans 3.24, Propitiation takes away the offense against God. Reconciliation has two sides. It removes a. God's indignation against us, 2 Corinthians verse 19, b. Our alienation from God, 2 Corinthians verse 20. Reconciliation changes man's position from enmity to peace and from guilt to grace. Our enmity with God made us at war with ourselves, with other men, and with the world itself, since it is God's handiwork, so that we were, towards all things, would-be destroyers. Because of Christ's atoning work, we have peace with God, we stand justified, and we rejoice in these experiences which further our sanctification and which bring us closer to our destiny in Christ. Calvin, writing on Romans 5.11, declared of St. Paul, Nor is it in vain that he so often mentions reconciliation. It is first that we may be taught to fix our eyes on the death of Christ, whenever we speak of salvation, and secondly, that we may know that our trust must be fixed on nothing else, but on the expiation made for our sins. God's atonement takes away the self-absorption of humanistic atonement. Guilt leads to an intensive and unhealthy introspection and self-absorption. The pressing problem of the guilty is how to work off the burden of sin and guilt. 
Whatever activity they embark upon, whether it be religious, political, educational, or charitable, assumes a sadomasochistic orientation. It becomes an aspect of self-atonement. Much of human activity has this characteristic. Guilty men will seek a mantle of self-righteousness by means of charitable acts or by passing socialistic legislation to improve mankind and its lot. These self-righteous acts can assume a politically conservative form, charitable foundations oftentimes have such an origin, or a politically radical form, such as socialistic measures and policies. In either case, the self-righteousness involved is a form of atonement. It is also masochistic. A wealthy man who hates the poor as failures and refuses to pay his employees except the barest minimum will sometimes establish a major foundation to minister to these people. A politician who feels guilty for hating minority groups will work doubly hard to atone for his feelings by offering them far-reaching goals at the taxpayer's expense. In either case, human action is geared to human guilt primarily, not to God's law and only secondarily to human need. When social action becomes an aspect of atonement, it is first of all egocentric action. The reverse is true where God's atonement governs. As St. Paul declared, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Romans 5.19 Adam's disobedience made all those created in Adam's image and born of Adam to be sinners or lawbreakers. Christ's obedience makes all those born again in his image to be righteous or law keepers. The atonement is for them the glorious starting point, whereas for the humanist it is the terminal point. From the fact of atonement, the redeemed go on to apply God's law word to every area of life and to reorder all things in terms of Christ. For all men, atonement is a need. Because the humanist sees it as a problem to be solved, his course is a lifelong absorption with his guilty burden. Not surprisingly, a humanistic age has seen a superabundance of psychiatrists and psychoanalysts, all feeding on this burden and intensifying it by their failure. For the godly, atonement is a need which Christ has met. Now the redeemed man is no longer under the reign of sin and death, but under the reign of grace and righteousness. Romans 5.21 It is impossible, therefore, to speak of a psychology of man common to the regenerate and unregenerate. A different motive force governs both in virtue of their relationship to Christ. To assume a common psychology is to deny the fact of the atonement.